Hello, and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Ollie Price. I lead Instant Response for FTI Cybersecurity EMEA, and I'm based in London. Throughout this podcast series, experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity, and today we'll be discussing third-party cyber risk. For this episode, I'm joined by external guests from DWF, Mark Hendry and Tuan Thurasingham, and my colleague, Ron Wood. I'll let my guests introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Mark Hendry. I'm a director at international legal services firm DWF. I advise clients across a range of sectors to address cybersecurity, data protection and operational risk issues. In particular, I focus on multidisciplinary incident response services and strategic improvement programs to remediate risk. Hi, my name is Tuan Thurisingham. I am a director and solicitor in DWF's data protection and cybersecurity team based in London. I lead the financial services sector in these areas at DWF. I started working in data protection 10 years ago now and have since supported clients on a full range of data protection strategy, legal and compliance issues. Prior to DWF, I worked in a big four professional services firm and spent over two years in secondment to one of the world's largest payments technology companies. Hello everyone, I'm Ron Yearwood. I'm a Senior Managing Director at FTI Consulting. I have decades of experience combating criminal and national security threats. I retired from the FBI after more than 23 years of service where I led strategic and investigative operations against hundreds of criminal and nation state cyber threat actors. During my tenure in the FBI as a senior executive with the FBI Cyber Division, I also served as a representative to the White House Cyber Response Group. As a senior with FTI, I assist clients in responding to cyber incidents like ransomware attacks, preparedness and planning, and I was recently privileged to serve as an expert witness providing deposition in a civil matter resulting in a significant settlement for our client, and I am based out of the Washington, D.C. office. Thank you, everyone. I think we've got the makings of a really good discussion today. So third-party risk is a unique issue in that while most organizations are aware of the significant threat it poses, many struggle to implement an adequate risk mitigation strategy. The pandemic has accelerated digital decentralization, opening up a, a wider ecosystem of partners, workers, suppliers, and customers. While this has helped create organizational efficiencies, it has also extended attack surfaces further into the third-party sphere. So let's kick off the conversation with topic one and look at some of the current trends in this area of risk. Ron, can I come to you first? Certainly, thank you. Uh, I think the best way to emphasize this specific topic is to look at some recent events. Uh, and one of the ones that I would use to highlight this specific vulnerability or this specific risk would be the target breach. And it's a bit dated, but it was an origination point for some of these type of third party exposure breaches. Uh, target breach occurred in 2013. The perpetrators of that particular uh, breach that attack used stolen credentials of a third party. This was uh, HVAC uh, company that had a, a trusted relationship with Target. They used those stolen credentials to exploit the Target network, to install malware in a number of different places, but specifically to target the point of sale system for Target's enterprise. They collected millions and millions of uh, sensitive uh, data sets, PII, credit card data, uh, names and addresses, very sensitive information. And this serves as a great example of one of the very early demonstrations of third-party risk, third-party exposure. Uh, there's another one recently that just reinforces how significant and pervasive this risk is, 
from third parties and particularly with trusted relationships with third parties. The solar winds breach uh, of the last couple of years demonstrates again a significant exposure to third party relationships and trusted third party relationships. In that breach, an update process was exploited to send malware through a process that was intended to update software and application on end clients systems. Unfortunately, the application itself was a remote uh, services application. And so the malware that was distributed to these end clients gave the hackers significant access to the end clients networks. Tens of thousands of end clients were affected. And, and not only were, was malware downloaded on these clients, but the threat actors being reported as coming from or originating from a nation state source really dug in, uh, really established persistence with these end clients, very significant breach. As a matter handled by FTI, just to give a, a more personal connection to the risk of third-party breaches, we recently handled at FTI a ransomware matter for a client. And although the breach that we managed for this client didn't result in third parties being uh, compromised, the breach of the client that we worked with resulted in significant outages, operational outages of their service. This client provided service to dozens of end clients. And when they were breached, they had to take their network offline, which resulted in significant outage to their end clients. And again, although the intended target was our client and they responded very, very quickly within 24 hours to get their customers back up and running, the consequence of that ransomware attack had significant impact on all the third parties. And really, this is the, the, the point to highlight in this, the relationships and that trusted relationship with those third parties was damaged and had to be rebuilt. They did a great job in doing it. However, it was a, had a significant impact. And the last thing that I'll highlight, just to, just to emphasize this problem is not going away. Recently, uh, CNN, and there've been several other articles talking about recent breaches, stolen passwords, various campaigns from criminal organizations, uh, nation state type of uh, actors. Th this problem is not going away. It is here to stay. If we as a community, as a cybersecurity community, don't find ways to improve our response. It's not only going to uh, be with us for a while, it's gonna to continue to get worse. Thank you, Ron. I think there's some really interesting points there, particularly on the progression of what we've seen from the target breach back in 2013, up to what's probably been a, a very eventful 2021. Mark, I was wondering if you could maybe share your own perspective on this. Yeah, sure. And, and uh, I suppose thanks, Ron, for bringing to life some of the impact trends that we tend to see. I suppose when I think about this, I think about it from my own um, experience, and, and that tends to be in two main areas. The first is helping clients with uh, preventative security. So that is putting in place risk management procedures and frameworks and models, which includes third party risk assessments and ongoing lifecycle assurance. And the second is in incident situations. So, you know, those two do come together. What I would say is that across that life cycle, 2013 and before through 2021, we're seeing the same kinds of impacts. And across that time scale, um, we, we've seen third party ecosystems expand, get deeper, get more technical. We're seeing the lines between organizations blur in terms of logic and technology and data flows increasingly and so that that just creates a more complicated situation in which to understand and manage risk at the same time 
I'm not sure that we're seeing a great deal of progress and, and increased sophistication or increased and improved methodologies by which to handle onboarding processes for third parties or lifecycle assurance for third party risk management, despite those complexities and those complicating factors that I've just described. We've been seeing the same sort of things for a long time, which is um, perhaps seen as proportionate in some way because um, it can be costly to undertake third party risk management. So what we tend to see is different layers of, of approach to handling a third party risk management consideration. So that can be anything from it doesn't hit a particular financial threshold, therefore our security team isn't going to look at it, um, through to we're going to get our boots on the ground and send our auditors in to figure out whether the data center in which those servers are physically located is, is physically secure and all the rest of it. Um, and that tends to be done on the basis of certain characteristics, but all too often the main characteristic that's considered is the cost of the contract rather than the data and security and technology characteristics of the relationship with the third party. So as you've described, Ron, um, you know, we're continuing to see impacts coming from third party relationships. And in some cases, as in the solar winds attack, that can affect huge swathes of the global economy and society. So by far the most common approach to supplier onboarding security due diligence for third parties is to send out a spreadsheet to see that spreadsheet returned um, with some answers on it. And for a security practitioner to say, this is and this isn't okay, but for uh, business criticality reasons or reasons of convenience, um, even if the security practitioner says, we really need to be doing better, the front line of the business can override that and make a business decision to go ahead with that supplier anyway. And that's where um, I see this coming back up in incidents. So when I see third parties involved in incidents, which actually over the past five years has been in every case that I've worked on in, in terms of some kind of liability for an incident that's occurred or a mishandled or suboptimally handled incident response, there'll be some element of third party liability to that. And it goes to show that not only are third party relationships almost always part of the contributory or root cause factor for data security incidents. It goes to show that actually in oftentimes there is smoking gun evidence which comes out in regulatory investigations and litigation, which points to suboptimally handled supplier onboarding, due diligence and lifecycle assurance. Thank you, Mark. I, I think some really interesting, important points there. So whilst we're seeing some things change, some others perhaps not changing as much as, as we might want them to, and probably the message there being, whilst 2021 is something of a high watermark, it's probably the high watermark so far too. And I know that you're absolutely champing at the bit to uh, share some of your experience. So maybe if I could pass to you for, for your comment, please. Sure, thank you. So I'd like to make a couple of observations. The first one is around what I'm seeing in the failures in the design of the due diligence process. So building on what Mark and, and, and Ron were speaking about. And secondly, how often I see key risks that are only identified very, very late on in the third party onboarding process. 
in particular within contractual negotiations. Looking at that first theme of failures of design, from a legal perspective, if we take, for example, the general data protection regulations or the GDPR as an example, there is this direct obligation for organizations who act as controllers to only use third-party processes that provide sufficient guarantees to implement appropriate technical and organizational measures. And this is basically to ensure that the manner in which the third party handles the data will meet the requirements of the GDPR, and a key requirement of which is to keep data secure. So here, what the GDPR is essentially telling us is that it expects organizations to have this third party due diligence process in place. We know that. But I think more importantly, it tells us that this process should effectively be designed to actually determine the appropriateness and sufficiency of those measures that should be present within that third party's environment. Now, I guess what's considered as appropriate and sufficient and the mechanisms and tools used to determine and test such appropriateness and sufficiency of measures is where, in my view, the general market approach to due diligence is not fit for purpose. So typically what I see organizations doing, and, and this is exactly what Mark was saying earlier, is that they typically classify high-risk suppliers by way of contract value. And these high-risk suppliers would then have to jump maybe through a few more hurdles. And this can include perhaps more due diligence questions to answer, more detailed scrutiny over their policies and procedures in place, and, and perhaps an increased level of ongoing monitoring of the supplier once onboarded, whatever that would look like. But what this approach really fails to take into account are the risk factors that may be unique to both the third-party supplier and the organization procuring those services. So for example, what is the nature of the data itself? What does the actual data processing activity involve? Where does the third party undertake those data processing activities? So you actually might have a third party supplier that doesn't necessarily meet the threshold of high value contract as Mark was talking about, but that supplier may be handling large volumes of data. Uh, you know, they might be handling financial information or maybe the suppliers undertaking higher risk activities such as profiling of individuals by combining various data sets. So you can really see how these types of factors can combine quite rapidly to increase the risk profile of that supplier or third party. And suddenly a supplier that slipped through the due diligence process ends up posing the highest risk to the organization, whether it's due to regulatory priorities that are focusing on particular risk areas, such as profiling and combining of data sets or customer scrutiny around the use of their financial information or disclosure of their home address, or scrutiny from privacy activists or claims farms, particularly when things go wrong. So when there's a personal data breach or security incidents. And looking at the second theme, I often see failures in the design of the due diligence process really manifest itself during contractual negotiations. So I've had a number of situations where the parties would start trying to figure out what data would be shared for what purposes and where it'd be stored and the security measures that the third party would implement which would generally be quite um, general in terms of the descriptions. So this type of low visibility and very late on in the third party onboarding process has a number of knock-on effects to the contract themselves and the contractual provisions are basically not sufficiently tailored and fit for purpose. So the way that I work in some of these contracts that it, it just makes it much more challenging to negotiate and include provisions that are in essence more robust and that reflect the operational reality. 
and also makes it challenging to negotiate more favorable indemnity and liability provisions that provide that layer of protection in the event of a supplier breaching its contractual obligations. But I really feel that the value of tailored contractual provisions extends further into really serving as a tool to influence how the supplier should act when handling data. And for example, in the event of a personal data breach, so what rights and obligations each party has. So having robust notification obligations and granular steps that the supplier has to take should an incident like that occur. So I guess I'll finish by saying that often all of these complex issues is being dealt with by legal teams who are under pressure by their business to onboard the supplier due to a product or service that's going to go live in, in X number of weeks. The organization is then pushed to make a risk acceptance decision and balance the cost of not going ahead with the potential third-party supplier with a potential future risk that the supplier may introduce to the organization's environment. So from a risk mitigation strategy point of view, you can see how the typical design of the due diligence process is just not fit for purpose in the world of privacy and cybersecurity at the moment. Thank you, Tuan, and thank you, Mark and Ron. I think that's been really useful to sort of understand what the truth in the ground for this kind of problem really is. So to provide a bit of background, our sponsored flagship report with Harvard Business Review Analytics Services addressing third-party cyber risk. Within that, 71% of business executives surveyed said they are concerned that third-party suppliers are exposing their organization to cybersecurity risk. Over 60% of respondents say their third-party suppliers implement systems within their network, with 43% saying their organization lacks sufficient resources to adequately monitor and manage their suppliers. So with that underscoring some of the challenges in this area, what advice would you give to business leaders right now to mitigate the risk? Mark, perhaps I can come to you first. Thanks, Ollie. I'm only surprised through those stats insofar as that I find 71% of business executives surveyed saying they're concerned that third party suppliers are exposing their organisation to cybersecurity risk as probably lower than it needs to be given some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, in terms of advice that I would give that 71% and the remaining executives, don't place too much faith in your existing third party risk management due diligence processes if you're relying on them and they take the form of a spreadsheet and response, a call and a response. The way that I see that typically working out is that the responder knows the answers that will be required to pass a very thin examination and a thin layer of scrutiny, whereas in reality and operationally, the relationship, the technical integrations, the systems integrations and the flows of data that are going on between organisations are very much deeper and more complicated than would be represented um, on a spreadsheet. And therefore, you know, it provides a, a veneer of risk management as opposed to anything that's going to provide you with the tools, the insights to come up with appropriate technical and organizational measures, that GDPR term that Tuan mentioned, appropriate technical and organizational measures to protect all parties within that supply chain. Um, so that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say is something that I've seen in my career time and time again, is that in scrutinizing third parties 
and the characteristics of third party relationships that you hold. The people who are undertaking that scrutiny uh, and who are assessing the risk, you know, the, the operational and technical characteristics of the relationship and the risk that's presented through those, those people need to have a certain level of technical acuity. That doesn't mean that they need to be able to sit and code line by line. It doesn't mean that they have to be the people that administer firewalls. It, it simply means that they have to understand that when organizations are working together, when systems are being integrated, perhaps when you have a third party supplier effectively running your IT operations as a managed service, you have to have people who are representing your organization who are able to cut the wheat from the chaff, who are able to understand whether the answers that are being provided are opaque to provide a certain level of challenge, scrutiny and, and discern a good answer from a bad answer, be able to discern obscurity to reality. So, for example, I once worked with in the UK, a water utilities provider, and they'd gone through an organisational reshuffle and change in which they essentially cut their IT team and they were left with their IT managed service provider who was reporting monthly on key performance indicators and key risk indicators as described in their contract they were crossing the t's and dotting the i's of their obligations within the contract or so it appeared on the face now what ended up happening was uh, they had an incident the it service ma managed service provider hadn't been doing all the things that they'd been reporting as green in terms of kpis and kris but nobody in management had the capability to understand whether they'd been being misled over the past 12, 24 months, only that these reports were hitting their desks. They look quite thick and chunky. They might have had a shiny cover on them. And that was enough to satisfy what was left, uh, you know, the remnants of the IT team within the company. It didn't mean that anything good was happening at all. So make sure that you have people in positions of authority over relationships and over third party risk and security risk who know how to ask the right questions who understand the char characteristics or organizationally legally technically of these relationships and have the ability to think creatively about how issues might occur so don't just think in terms of control frameworks but think in terms of you know if something was to go wrong with the supplier without necessarily describing what that if might be if something was going to go wrong well how might it affect us and how might it affect our clients how might it affect our colleagues and what can we do about it thank you mark i suspect your mention of spreadsheet and response will have uh, struck a chord with many and i'm also sure that your guidance on proactive prioritization and informed challenge really and i know that you and i have seen a fair bit of that in the past Hopefully, that'll be a helpful starting point for people who might be trying to rethink their approach. So, Tuan, perhaps I could ask you for a few things that business leaders concerned about their third-party cyber risk can look out for. Sure, of course. So, I think that the concept of third-party due diligence has to be seen from a much broader perspective than it is currently being viewed. So, it should just not be confined to a procurement tick-box exercise, as we've discussed. But how we're viewing third parties should really be an extension of the organization and that's demonstrated by legal obligations imposed on organizations using third parties such as the gdpr 
And from a data protection perspective, I guess my advice would be that organizations need to first reflect on whether they have an effective and operational privacy program in place that takes into account what we call an organization's special characteristics. So the operating and environmental features that make it unique. So for example, its geographic location, its business operations, its prior regulatory track record. And when it comes to the data, really understanding which data sets are critical to the organization. What do you do with that data and how do your customers expect you to handle their information? So it really goes back to your organization's purpose, culture, values, even ethics when it comes to handling data. So really developing a method of identifying and prioritizing key risks based on the characteristics that are unique to your organization. So I think this will ensure that you can build a risk model that can identify key risks that reflects the nature of your organization's risk profile. Only then do you really start getting in a position to determine the appropriateness and sufficiencies of the measures that should be in place when handling data in a given use case. So an example would be an obligation to do data protection impact assessment on your high risk activities. And out of that assessment, you'd probably have results on what controls should be in place to address the risks identified. And to, to Mark's point about the individuals who are dealing with this on the ground, they can be equipped with an organizational view of how certain risks should be handled and how the due diligence process should happen from a third party perspective. So if you have that organizational posture and program that's effective and operational, ultimately these should then filter through to the due diligence processes of any third party that is then engaged to support you with your organizational activities. So I guess with this type of approach and thinking, you see that the due diligence process actually goes beyond just a procurement or contracting issue. It's an organization-wide issue, and getting it right in this way can help achieve more meaningful and measurable risk reduction. And of course, it can also place organizations in a more defensible position as to why certain courses of action were taken if scrutinized by stakeholders or, or regulators, if anything goes wrong. Once again, some really useful advice, so thank you, Tuan. In particular, I think the point around these questions needing to be addressed by the organization as a whole, it, which appears to be a theme which comes back in so many different areas of risk, but is so critical. Ron, I'm wondering if you may be able to provide particular advice on some of the approaches that you've seen be successful in this area. Thank you, Oleg. You know, I, I want to comment on a couple of things and, and to and emphasize the need for having a comprehensive understanding of your own data within your own organization. And that is so critical to success in changing the way that we manage our third-party relationships. Mark also spoke earlier about the growing threat landscape, the attack surface with growing organizational complexity, enhanced relationships, and those relationships with third parties. This threat continues to grow and it's of significant concern. And I thought I would highlight a, a recent matter where this third-party relationship was exploited and, and specifically the insertion of sensitive information into the third-party relationship was unknown until it was discovered that it had been exposed. We had a client uh, that we worked with in response to a sensitive incident, the exposure of sensitive data. This client that we were working with uh, managed data analysis for several global clients. And as we found uh, on behalf of the client in conducting investigation, uh, some sensitive data had been exposed. However, the sensitive information that was exposed was unknown to the client. The sensitive information was not part of the ongoing data analysis, ongoing exchange of information. 
And so the discovery of this information being uh, exposed and available uh, out on the in the open was completely unexpected. During our investigation, we discovered uh, one of the, their global clients, uh, part of the information exchange that they had included unstructured but very sensitive information that was sent to them. The client that we worked with wasn't doing anything with that information, but it was still sent to them. And so unfortunately, that information was exposed. And again, I, I provide this example, this recent matter, just to emphasize that the risk to third party engagements isn't always directly on a face to face, exactly what you know basis. It's very complex. It is changing on a regular basis. And as our technology and threat landscape changes regularly, so do these third party relationships and the risks that are posed by these third party relationships. So do they change, particularly when the third parties are not securing their own data, their own systems to the same degree that we are. Um, I'll highlight a, a, a couple of points. If we look at organizations with the most positive of perspectives, we start to accept that organizations are getting better at protecting their own data. This requires us to accept that organizations know where their critical data is, that they've established strategic processes around security and privacy. If that's the case and we accept that, we have to give that same consideration or extend that same thought process to third-party relationships, particularly those with trusted relationships. Included in this type of an assessment, traditional risk management processes apply. If the cyber risk of a third-party exposure rises above an organization's comfort level, just as they would with a traditional operational risk, they should be looking to mitigate, eliminate, reduce and accept the risk or transfer that risk. So if we take those things into context, we're, we're getting better, but we need to hold accountable our third parties to ensure that they're getting better and apply traditional risk management processes to cybersecurity also. We can use different models when we look at whether or not our programs are being successful. So I'll highlight a zero trust model, which is typically or traditionally uh, utilized in identity and access management, but it's another way of looking at third party risk and the associated due diligence efforts around that. Both Mark and Tuin highlighted checklists, uh, spreadsheet type of due diligence efforts, paper assurances, attestation of security. These things are no longer sufficient. So if we look at the zero trust model, we can apply that in a way that would be trust, but verify. And if you can't verify, then you don't trust. All of these areas require investment in solutions and investment in ongoing security enhancements. This also requires a shift from what would be the traditional return on investment approach in cybersecurity and risk management to a concept of risk of failure to invest. The ROI is the same. We're just shifting it from return on investment to risk of failure to invest approach. Their traditional risk reduction concepts can and should be applied here, and investments in security can help to address these issues. This is really hard to enforce, but we have to start with personal accountability. Be the best partner that you can, and then hold accountable your third party partners, your third party relationships to hold them accountable in being the best that they can. One of the things that I expect in the future will we will see uh, additional changes, additional areas of advancement is in service level agreements, the contractual agreements that we have with our third parties. These are potential areas and opportunities to change that current landscape of third party relationships. Thank you, Ron, and thank you, Mark and Tuan. 
I think we've had a really interesting discussion charting how these issues have evolved over the past decade. Um, some of the changes that have been brought by new regulation and new techniques used by threat actors, which have led to, unfortunately, 2021 being the year of the supply chain attack. There has also been some really useful advice on realistic and, and achievable steps that business leaders can take to ensure their organisations are able to play their part in an ever increasingly connected world. So I'd like to thank my guests for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast series so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how to help build a resilient future for clients, please reach out to myself or any of today's guests via the FTR website. Thank you.